0: Right, when we were putting these together, and, and our producer also, Bruce, said, oh, you, can you talk about last week's gamble? I thought, has, has it really only been a week <laughs> since uh, since that gamble went astray last Sunday? What did you make of it?
1: Um, I was torn. On the one hand, there's a bit of kind of Robin Hood, you know, what an intriguing story. And if I was editing, I'd love to have got involved with it and, you know, done some live coverage for it. Mm-hmm. But the, the lads did it absolutely brilliantly. I must admit, though, I think on reflection, really, Nick, the, the overall feeling is that, you know, I just, I'm not mad on the form book being distorted like that. I just think that these things tend to happen once every 10 years, that's absolutely fine. But what if everyone suddenly thinks, hang on a sec, look how much they nearly won, mm. let's start orchestrating some of this? You can't have too much of that stuff. Of course, of course, they didn't
0: win. They didn't, which shows you actually, even with that much ingenuity, and I kind of completely underestimate how much ingenuity gone into it. They didn't win, and it wasn't Barney Curley, and it wasn't four horses. They only tried it with three, and the last one went well astray, thanks to Mister Nichols. Well, thanks to Mister Nichols and the fact that the horse himself was a bit of a loony when Nicky Henderson trains him, and tends to be a bit too keen. Galahers Cross, but
1: there is a lot of me that says good luck to them. They almost won an absolute fortune. All I'm saying is that I do think that, generally speaking, when horses are suddenly leaving a lot of very bad runs behind and are smashed off the boards, that's the kind of thing that some punters can find pretty unappealing.
0: There's also been quite a lot of discussion, and I know ITV took this up yesterday and Richard Hoyles went into it in some depth, about the overround to the to those races and the the, the effect of the there, there being no on-course starting price on the price of that. That final leg and whether that was fair
1: well I'm, I'm not sure I, I'd like to know what would have happened to that horse's price had it had there been you know crowds and the old way of collating the
0: SPs gone I'm not sure it would have been vastly different I, I suspect not and I, I, as was pointed out in some of the, the last couple of the curly horses I think in the one that did come off the fourfold yeah, Fujiama crest I mean that was through the floor wasn't it so I, I'm not sure that that's a massive factor let's talk about Shadwell whose Australasian operation is winding down because Sheikh Hamdan likes to be hands-on and he feels he can't really be hands-on across the globe at the moment in the present circumstances so that is winding down that part of the operation. Quite significant on a number of levels this Bruce isn't it?
1: Well, possibly it might simply be that as you say with Sheikh Hamdan being so hands-on and reaching 75 he might just feel that something's got to give. Mm. So I think whenever you hear words like dispersals and you know winding down and, and any of these big superpowers potentially showing a sign that they're they're uh, not enthusiasm because I don't think that's in any question but maybe their might could be on the wane and it's all running back a bit can send shockwaves right through the sport but as of now it's it's a problem for Australian racing I don't necessarily feel that it's. The, the first domino in, in something more significant and the, the, this fantastic empire that he's built from, for three or four decades is necessarily going to be wound down. But there obviously is a succession question, not just about Sheikh Hamdan, but about Sheikh Mohammed, mm. about Cornwall, about everywhere, you know. The, 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 can, we, we, we've been blessed, racing has been blessed, both in terms of the quality of the horses that they've produced and the wealth that they've produced buy these four or
0: five absolute superpowers, and they don't last forever. So you know What, what I find staggering is that whatever parlour state the sport is in, there always seems to be new superpowers coming along in behind. Now, yeah, there'll never be another Sheikh Mohammed, and there'll never be another John Magna, but there are big potentates who want to get heavily in, involved in investing in the sport.
1: Yeah, absolutely there are, and, you know, we, we, we shouldn't... Yeah, you're right, we shouldn't sit and worry that they're not going to exist, because there is always a power to be... F- to be, you know, to come up and fill that. But I just think in terms of Sheik Hamdan, with this, uh, you know, hopefully the the situation is going to wind down in Australia, but we'll still see those legendary colours, you know,
0: playing a very prominent role in racing right around the rest of the world. of course, an amazing season in Europe last year for Sheik Hamdan Armbach, too. Now, jockeys are being given training, Bruce, to help them deal better with with social media, all aspects of social media. This is, I think, it's got to be a positive step, hasn't it?
1: Yeah. If, I think if I was holding the training for a, a group of young jockeys, it would be a very short lesson. Stay off it. Um, because I just, you know, journalists get a bit of abuse and broadcasters get a bit of abuse. Not you, Nick, because you're so universally loved, but some oh, of us oh, yeah. do. But if you look at it's nothing compared to the venom and the filth that jockeys get hit with on, on social media. It is absolutely appalling. Um, and how jockeys stand for it, I don't know. And it's very sad that they do get hounded off. But I think it's also absolutely right that you know, they are getting some guidance on what to do and how to, how to just maybe keep at arm's length and filter out the nonsense and realise that the kind of people who are putting the worst stuff up there are pretty sad, pathetic people who would never say it to your face. But
0: it can only help them. Uh, to what extent do you think they need social media? Twitter especially, well, but any other social people, media I The young people, everyone too. has social media. It's but a, in it's terms of advancing their careers and getting themselves out there? No, I don't there think they need no. it. I
1: mean, I, I, I don't remember Ryan Moore reaching the heights he has because he was an active tweeter, for instance. You know, I, I just, they don't need it, but the young people, need, and for young people, it's how they communicate mm. now. They don't watch telly, they don't watch videos or DVDs, they're on social media, but and it's very unfair that they have to deal with that stuff, and this, really the responsibility obviously lies with the social media companies. Every account should be verified with a real name and a picture. None of this nonsense, none of these awful, abusive, anonymous anonymous accounts on there. It's just it's not fun anymore.
0: Somebody invited me to be a member of a new social medium this week. I, I declined the invitation. I thought, how many more can you have? How no, many things I'd, can you I'd be? Like on. one? I'd like I'd one. A tenner a year.
1: Everyone's got to have the proper name on it, an actual picture. And there's yeah. really strict rules about what you can and can't do. But then I, th- I, was, I was thinking that, and I was thinking, hang sec, would we all get a bit bored with that? <laughs> Perhaps we need a bit of spice. Well, we don't need the worst of it,
0: do we? No, we don't. And I think it's important that jockeys are insulated. And actually, on a broader point, I know we need to move on. On a broader point, mentoring young jockeys like they are elite professional sports people is, I think, going to be a, a big theme over the next couple of yeah, years. Yeah, no question. Looking no after question. them properly. Absolutely. Now what could have been a pretty disastrous situation for Cheltenham in the run-up to the festival this year has ended up potentially turning into well, turning into a significant positive. So Magnus have pulled out of the Gold Cup with a year to run on their contract but it is now going to be the well-child Cheltenham Gold Cup and the festival supporting Wellchild. This is fabulous for a really important charity. You know quite a bit about this charity.
1: Yeah I do. I've done some stuff with Wellchild down the years. They're a brilliant, brilliant charity. What they do is they provide basic nursing care for really uh, chronically sick children so that they can be at home rather than in hospital Mm. and they do a brilliant job. They're a wonderful charity with a lot of really great ambassadors and some really great staff. They've had a very, very difficult year like pretty much every charity. their, their, fund, their key funding pillars have been kicked away. You know, no golf day, no um, no Cheltenham preview night, a lot of the other things, uh, marathon sponsorship, all gone. And so this will help them to fill a hole, and it's a brilliant, brilliant gesture by Cheltenham to do it. And I think we were talking earlier, Nick, you raised a very interesting point, that it might actually have benefits over and above, just a bit of racing feeling warm about itself.
0: I think it will. I think at the moment... and. I- I don't mean this in any cynical way, but the mood of the nation is 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 good in some respects because it's encouraged. You know what the last year has done is encourage everyone to be a bit better and a bit kinder to each other. I think a philanthropic uh, move like this might well encourage more commercial partnership to the to the festival.
1: I agree with that, and I also think that the WellChild has a lot of ambassadors that stretch far and wide, mm. and I think they'll all get very busy on social media, and I think they'll bring a lot more eyeballs to the race. And I also think that people will, in the same way that I think Barcelona had UNICEF on their shirts rather than a commercial sponsor for a lot of years. That makes people feel very, very warm towards Barcelona. And I'm hoping that this yeah. will be a story that will bring some good publicity and some good positivity for racing.
0: I mean, let's make no bones about it. It is an absolute disaster to lose your Blue Ribbon sponsor just a, f- a few weeks before the event, even if they only did have one year left to run on their contract. But I, th- I suppose it's just going to make everyone think differently about partnerships and sponsorships. Yeah, and I hope so. I mean, it's
1: a big battle for Cheltenham all round with, spo- you know, with sponsors. I mean, th- there's been a lot of churn on sponsors this year, and you know, they're, they're, I think there's a few holes potentially still to be filled but you know it is a battle for the sport I mean there's a lot of big races these days not necessarily at Cheltenham that are runners with a very bland unsponsored title and you know that's a bit of a worrying sign because I think we always think of sponsors as a bit of a nuisance they come along and they want to change the name and blah 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 but they're a vital part of prize money funding
0: Now, Holly Doyle, who we were speaking about a few moments ago, uh, made quite an unusual intervention this week insofar as that she said her appeal against a whip ban, which ultimately was unsuccessful, was in part brought about by the fact that she felt that she hadn't really been given a fair hearing in the stewards' room because she hadn't had her voice heard and she was being consistently talked over by quite domineering stewards. PJA boss Paul Struthers asked for the audio to be released. I was quite surprised and a little bit alarmed by that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I thought I thought the days of all that nonsense had gone. I mean, when we've looked at televised stewards' inquiries, it all seems to be fairly civilized these days, doesn't it? I remember when I first got into racing in the early '80s, there was a fascinating documentary on one of the channels. You can still find it. Uh, have you seen yeah, it? It's and I think it's is it brilliant. Edward Hyde who, yeah. who's in the stewards' room, and he's wearing yeah. this really weird purple jacket. That's not really uh, incidental to the story, but. I think he gets told to stand up straight. He keeps getting referred to as hide. Mm. Um, take your ha- there was another one, isn't there? There's a big clip of someone saying, take yeah. your hands out of your, your pockets, pockets and yeah. all that nonsense. I thought we got rid of all that. I thought there was a sensible kind of forensic look at what had happened. And for Holly Doyle to say that she felt intimidated like that and talked over, and that's ridiculous. I mean, that can't be happening.
0: Yeah, particularly as the, the bulk of the panel is now professional paid are paid professionals but it doesn't necessarily mean just because you're a paid professional you're any more civil than unpaid Amateur. well so
1: there, there ought to be a, a set of guidelines on how to conduct yourself with these things shouldn't there i mean mm. i always feel slightly worried about stewards inquiries that It's the person who's got the best kind of legal skills or the best way of enunciating their case has the best chance of winning it shouldn't necessarily really
0: be that should it well it begs the question as to what whether how much how much you need to hear testimony of the of the jockeys. I always it? thought that. I always thought that because. Do you I need them in there?
1: Well, they should be given the chance because there might be some really mad extenuating circumstance, like someone's mm. shining a laser pen in their eye or something. <laughs> but otherwise, you're absolutely right. It's all visual. So, you know, these conversations and these kind of battling to state a case
0: like some sort of lawyer, mm. I'm, I'm really not sure that's how it should work. I. I There's a lot of regulatory things that America do very badly, but I I always thought jockeys get on the phone quickly at the scales and say, yeah, this is what happened, put the phone down, other jockey comes on, on the phone to the stewards, and then the stewards make the decision. I kind of prefer that, rather than this kind of mock trial thing. Oh,
1: definitely, definitely, yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Um, A freebie, which horses in Ireland are not given, according to social media, who shouted down poor Dan Skelton, who I slightly ambushed for an interview on my podcast earlier in this week.
1: Yes, he, he used that expression. And I, you know, I mean, I don't think he was trying to open a massive, great can of worms. There was he, um, but it was interesting. Paul was talking earlier, wasn't it? This is just basically about the general thing of what. Well, specifically, why were there so few um, British runners at the Dublin Racing Festival? Mm. And traditionally, it doesn't feel like there's there's anything like as many. East to West raids, as there are West to East in terms of racing, and and it is a bit of a shame because the Dublin Festival was absolutely fantastic. But it would have also been great to have to have seen some of some of the elite horses from here going over there. Um, I remember Nicky Henderson saying that he doesn't want to, he didn't want to take on the Irish in their own backyard so close to Cheltenham. I'm not. I don't know, you, he, he'll send horses to Kelso, no problem. Is it that different going over there? I mean, it's it's a strip of grass with white
0: railings either side and horses <laughs> and obstacles, isn't it? I think the point that, that Dan was making was that... that that Willie, he, he felt that Willie Mullins' sources didn't have as hard a races as their final prep races before Cheltenham. Now for whatever reason that might be. So I think that was the context in which he used the word freebie. Of course suddenly they're all up in arms saying, you know, and there's some really horrible stuff directed at him as well. If every trainer was like Dan Skelton and as forthcoming and as interesting and had opinions and was prepared to express them, we'd all be in a better place. So we
1: certainly would and, and every time someone like Dan does express an opinion if he does get shouted down like this, he's liable to to decide he, it's just not worth it, which would be such a shame because obviously Dan is a protege protege of Nichols. Nichols is one of the great communicators. You know, he the, half the reason why he resonates so well with the punters. And believe me, I think Nichols is still the punter's number one jumps trainer, without a doubt, is that he's so open, he's so talkative, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And Dan's Dan's exactly the same, and and they're so good for the game, and I think they're so important. So I hope that people can express a um, semi-controversial view without feeling like it's just not worth the
0: bother. And we talked about affordability checks a little at the beginning of the programme, but I think it is well worth rounding off the talking points with this, because very soon we are going to find out our, our fate as regards what the government are going to do and what recommendations are ultimately put into the gambling review. Yes, and
1: I think the thing is that, you know, if, if they do pull the trigger on £100 pound a month, it, it is really, really probably the most serious challenge to horse racing's funding and its prosperity and its absolute future that I think there's has ever been. I honestly think it's that big. I really, really do. Because there's there's some people who say, well, just send your bank account over and, and you can carry on depositing, provided you can prove that you've got the funds. But I don't want, I'd never do that. I would never, ever send my bank account to anybody. You know, Tom, Tom Kerr wrote a brilliant piece about it last week. He said, you've been asked to share details with Sky bet that you wouldn't share with your spouse, and that's exactly right. This is, you know, you can't just go delving into it. Also, how do you police it? So do I have to show every bookmaker that I've got my total wealth, and they say, right, well, you're hundred quid, you can split that with them, that with them, and that with them. How does it work with betting shops? Am I not allowed to go in with cash? Do I have to have some some kind of voucher or some card that? deducts whatever I spend in the shop from my £100 monthly allowance. I think it's absolutely outrageous. It's a horrific idea.
0: But politically, racing's got a box clever here, hasn't it? Because if it goes into a meeting and just says, this is outrageous, you can't do this, this is an infringement on my civil liberty, and then somebody comes in, quite understandably, and says, I have lost my 22-year-old child because of his or her gambling addiction, Um, then... You have to have sensitivity to the way that this is being played out politically. I don't think, Nick, I don't think anybody denies
1: that there is an issue with problem gambling in the same way that there's an issue with problem drinking. But the whole point is that it's... it's I don't like the phrase sledgehammer to crack a nut, but it's just it's an inelegant, completely um, ins- just unsubtle way of dealing with it. It's, it's crazy. It's, there must be better ways of protecting these poor people who get themselves into trouble through betting.
0: And those were this week's talking points.